Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Professor Michael Fair will join us to discuss quantum mechanics. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, the science of quantum mechanics may seem to be abstruse and somewhat incomprehensible, and its relevance in daily life perhaps even more so. Yet, quantum mechanics describes many aspects of our daily lives. And joining us today to discuss this issue is Professor Michael Fayer. Professor Fayer is the Daniel Mulvane Ezram and Edward Curtis Franklin Professor of Chemistry at Stanford University. He is a member of the National Academy of Sciences and has published numerous scientific articles on the topic. His new release, Absolutely Small, How Quantum Theory explains everything in our day, everyday world, explores this topic for a, a general audience. And Professor Fair, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to join you today, Charles. Uh, well, certainly our pleasure, and I have to say this really is a fascinating book you've written here, uh, Absolutely Small. You talk about the uh, quantum theory, and which I think a lot of people might feel somewhat intimidated by, or at least interested by, but it always seems to be something of you know esoteric topic. Why did you decide to write the book, and do you think it's really a topic that everyone can understand? That's a really good place to start. I decided to write the book because in everyday life, you encounter a huge number of things that are only understandable if you know something about quantum theory. And everybody thinks you need to know a lot of mathematics to understand quantum theory. And I wrote this book specifically as a book that does not require any mathematics, yet describes the fundamentals of quantum theory. But let me just give you a couple examples. People understand intuitively classical mechanics. You throw a baseball, it goes through the air, makes a curve, hits the ground. You throw it a little further, harder, it goes further. These types of trajectories and things that we see around us. But then if you ask the question, why are cherries red and blueberries blue? In other words, where does color come from? That's a strictly quantum effect. If you want to know something or understand something as straightforward as you turn on your electric stove and the element gets hot and then glows red, that's two quantum effects. So, so much in everyday life, actually, when you look around you, involves quantum theory. So I wrote this book to be completely accessible and to try and bring people up conceptually to what's going on and then explain a lot of things in the everyday world so that when they look around them, they have just a much richer experience of understanding nature. You grow up with intuition that's classical mechanics. What's classical mechanics? It's the things that allow you to build bridges and airplanes and land a vehicle on Mars. And it's great. It works wonderfully. We wouldn't be building skyscrapers or any of the other marvelous things that we have without classical mechanics. The mechanics developed before 1900. But around 1900, things started to fall apart. There started to be so many observations that you just couldn't explain. And that led, the break point, let's say, 1900, that led to the development of quantum theory. And if you want to understand 
semiconductors and how to make the guts of all of our computers. Or today, biology in your field, neurobiology. Uh, if you really want to understand how the body works, it requires understanding at the molecular level. And the molecular level, when you talk about molecules and atoms and electrons, you must have quantum theory to understand them because these objects, which are absolutely small, the title of the book, behave fundamentally differently than baseballs. Now, we can understand both baseballs and electrons and atoms and molecules with quantum theory, but we don't need quantum theory for baseballs. Classical, our everyday ideas, classical ideas are fine. But most people just really don't realize that when they look around them, they're seeing so many things in everyday life that are really only understandable with some basic intuition of quantum theory, and that's the idea, to develop quantum theory so for people without having to have a lot of mathematics. It's not simple, but doesn't require mathematics, so that they can look around and really have a much better appreciation for what they're seeing as they go through their lives and the world around them. One of the interesting features of at very small scales is this probabilistic nature of small particles. To start the the book with famous thought experiment, uh, the Schrodinger's cat experiment. And when... Let me take the Schrodinger's cat and just change it into flipping a coin. It might be easier. You know, when we flip a coin, an honest coin, it can have heads and it tails. And, you know, when we flip it, we go, okay, there's a 50-50 chance of getting heads or tails. But that uncertainty in whether you're going to get a head or a tail really comes about because the flip is not reproducible. I could build a machine that would flip a coin so precisely that I could set a dial, and if I wanted it to come out heads, it would come out heads, and I wanted it to come out tails, it would come out tails. So in flipping a coin, the randomness is really just because what you're doing isn't reproducible. But the amazing thing about quantum theory, when you start talking about electrons and atoms and molecules, you can do the exact same experiment. You can start out everything exactly the same and do something, and the result will not be the same. And it's not because you haven't controlled it well enough. It's not because, uh, you know, you could improve your experimental method and things would then become predictable. It's because inherent in nature, intrinsic in nature, is a type of uncertainty. And it's actually pretty easy to understand, and that's what the title of the book is. Early on in classical mechanics, there was a fundamental mistake made about size. We usually think of size in terms of large things and small things, and things are just relative. You have a big rock, you have a small rock. Well, it's small by comparing it to a big rock. It turns out that size is not relative. Size is absolute. And this was first formulated in detail by the great quantum theorist Dirac. And what he said to us was that there was intrinsic in nature a minimum disturbance that accompanies any kind of measurement or observation, whether you're looking at a baseball or an electron. And of that minimum disturbance that can never be overcome by increased skill of the experimenter, a million years from now with better technology, we still will never overcome this. If that tiny little disturbance is negligible, then the object is absolutely big. But for electrons and atoms and molecules, that minimum disturbance that comes along with making a measurement is not negligible. So here's the big deal. The act of looking at something fundamentally changes it. 
So you can know what a quantum system is doing as long as you don't try to see whether it's actually doing that. As soon as you go and look to see whether it's doing what you might think it's doing, it changes. And the result is that that change may have a whole bunch of outcomes. And what quantum theory can tell you is the probability of those outcomes. But there's no way to know exactly what's going to happen. And this really is fundamentally different than classical mechanics. It required the development of this whole new theory to be able to work with this, extract information, and in the end build all sorts of devices like all of the microelectronics uh, that we use in our computers are based on quantum effects. The fact that quantum theory is so different doesn't mean we can't use it to predict and control nature, just the nature of the predictions are very, very different than a classical mechanics theorist would like to think the world works as. So it's this sort of fundamental uncertainty of nature. Yeah, so it's this basic idea that size is absolute and not relative. And when you have large objects, baseballs, airplanes, classical mechanics works fine. But when you get down to things that are absolutely small, atoms, electrons, molecules, protons, neutrons, all of these particles that make up everything that's around us, they just don't behave like baseballs. They have this fundamental difference because they're absolutely small, and that just changes how we have to measure what they do and what we have to do if we want to control processes that are based on electrons, all of our electronics, atoms and molecules, and making all sorts of things from plastics to medicines to whatever you have, we have to come to grips with this idea that it sounds so strange, you can't know exactly what's going to happen when you do something to an absolutely small particle. The only thing you can know is some chance of what will happen. You know, maybe 10 different things might happen, and I can tell you, okay, there's 5% chance of this one and 20% chance of that one. But at a fundamental level, you cannot know exactly what the outcome will be. And so you have to deal with this uncertainty in trying to understand the world at the atomic and molecular level. And this comes into, like I said, understanding color, understanding how electrons move through metals, how they, why they get hot, understanding why carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas, you know, what makes it a greenhouse gas, or all the things you hear about, trans fat. What is a trans fat? Well, you have to know something about molecules and molecular bonding and what holds atoms together to make molecules, strictly quantum mechanical effects. In fact, Linus Pauling won the Nobel Prize for explaining the chemical bond in the early 30s, soon after quantum mechanics really got going. Strictly quantum mechanics. You can't explain what holds atoms together to make molecules without quantum theory. And in the book, Absolutely Small, it builds up through the very fundamental concepts of this uncertainty principle called the Heisenberg uncertainty principle after Heisenberg who formulated it that you can't know exactly what a measurement will give you, but you can know certain bounds on what it will give you. And the book builds up through those fundamentals and then goes on to using them to explain the properties of atoms and molecules and then uses that to explain things like you know, what's a trans fat? What's a polyunsaturated fat? What's a monounsaturated fat? You know, all of these types of words you hear in everyday life, 
but without some understanding of quantum theory. They just go by, you may know a trans fat is bad for you, but you know, what's the difference between a trans fat and a normal fat? And some understanding of molecular quantum mechanics is required to just, you know, understand those words and really have a feel for how nature works at the molecular level. So all the macroscopic principles that, that we see, quantum mechanics gives rise to the chemistry of those systems and then to the material properties of those systems. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this comes down to things as diverse as designing molecular materials like plastics, polymers, to understanding the properties of how one metal adheres to another. In jet engines, the really complicated interface problems, you know, the inside of a jet engine gets very, very hot. And to protect components, there's various layered materials. And those layers have to adhere to each other. And the way they adhere to each other depends on how different kinds of atoms adhere one to another. And the very complex quantum mechanical calculations are done to understand how to make new materials to go into jet engines. So, you know, in the world of technology and in just systems that we have all around us all the time, quantum mechanics comes into play in understanding what's going on and then using the properties of atoms and molecules for, let's say, computer design of drugs. I mean, these types of things involve quantum theory. And, you know, for the individual, you know, who isn't a chemist or a physicist or quantum theorist or an experimentalist, but just wants to be able to look around the world and have a little better understanding of how it really works, what goes on when light is absorbed by a green plant, things like this. You know, if you just want to have a better feel for how nature works, that having some understanding and building up an intuition of quantum theory uh, will make the world a richer, more interesting place when you observe it in everyday life. Uh, I know there's a lot that goes into it, but maybe we can address some of these questions. For example, what is it that gives things color? So first I should say, that's chapter eight in the book. So there's seven chapters that go before that, so I'm going to skip over them and try and, without developing all of the conceptual ideas to get there, put it this way. Imagine just a regular racquetball court, but we're going to make it a perfect racquetball court. And what I mean by perfect, there's no air resistance, there's no gravity, the walls are like infinitely massive and hard, and the ball is just this perfect elastic ball. So in this racquetball court, you hit the ball, It hits the wall, and it starts bouncing back and forth between the front wall and the back wall of the court. And it'll just keep doing that forever because it's a perfect ball with perfect walls, no air resistance, no gravity. Now, in a macroscopic racquetball court like this, if you hit the ball a little harder, it'll go a little faster. It'll have a little more energy. You hit it a little less hard, it'll go a little slower. It'll have a little less energy. Okay, now let's take that exact same perfect racquetball court and make it the size of a molecule. And instead of a ball, make it an electron. So you can imagine the same thing. I've got this electron and it's bouncing around in this quantum racquetball court and it's going back and forth between the walls. Now, here's where the quantum theory comes in. It turns out that the energy is not continuous. And this is where things get strange. If I could play racquetball and be small enough to hit an electron in this tiny little racquetball court, I could hit it at one speed and would be perfectly happy and bounce back and forth. 
But if I tried to make it go a little faster, it would be forbidden. It just couldn't happen. But there would be another energy, another speed, quite a bit higher in energy that would be allowed again. So rather than energy being continuous in this quantum racquetball court, energy comes in discrete steps. So you can have one energy or another energy. Now molecules are like this. The electrons in molecules, in a very qualitative sense, behave like this quantum racquetball court. And when light hits a, hits some collection of molecules, if the light, the colors of light, if they don't match the difference in energy between these two steps of energy in the racquetball court, that light can't be absorbed and will just say go right through or bounce off. But let's say blue light happens to match the difference in energy between these discrete energy levels, then that blue light will be absorbed and red light, let's say, will bounce off of the object because it can't be absorbed because it doesn't meet these discrete steps in energy and so the object will look red. Turns out, as explained in detail in the book why this is, if you make the racquetball court a little bit bigger, the energy levels will get closer together, and now red light will be absorbed. In other words, the energy of red light will meet, be able to take one step up in energy. It can't take a half a step, can't take two-thirds of a step. It either can take a step or it can't be absorbed at all. So if I make the racquetball court a little bigger, the red light will now be absorbed. Blue light won't be absorbed. It will bounce off, so the object will look blue. So whether an object, the atoms and molecules in it, absorb certain colors of light depends on this staircase steps in energy that atoms and molecules have, which is completely non-classical. So color is a property of the quantum energy levels associated with atoms and molecules. And it's a completely quantum mechanical phenomenon, cannot be explained with classical mechanics. Now, as I said in my book, I read into this and then go through this and show in considerable detail so that I follow it better than this very brief description. But we say in this case, the energy levels are quantized as in quantum theory, and you can only make discrete, quantized steps in energy. Energy is no longer continuous. Energy goes in discrete steps. This is a quantum effect, and it's responsible for color. What is it, then, that gives certain chemicals certain quantized steps, whereas other chemicals have different quantized steps? The first, simplest reason, if you have a bunch of molecules, different molecules, but they have same, the same type of molecule. See, molecules can be made up of many different atoms. So let's say I take a series of molecules made up all of the same atoms, and in some sense arranged the same way, but I make the size of the molecule bigger and bigger. It's really quite straightforward to show the bigger it is, in other words, the bigger this racquetball court is, the closer together the energy levels get. And red light is low energy, blue light is high energy. So at the simplest level, it's the size of the molecule that determines what color it's going to absorb. If it's larger, it'll absorb red light. If it's smaller, it'll absorb blue light. If it's in the middle, it'll absorb green light. Of course, if it's really small, it'll absorb ultraviolet light, and this goes for atoms also. So if you look at something like salt or sugar, these crystals that look white, 
The reason why they look white is the energy levels are so far apart that these things only absorb light that our eyes can't see. So all the colors of light that our eyes can see bounce off so it looks white. Colored things have energy levels, the spacing, this, this gap, this stair step in energy that are in the visible part of the spectrum that we see. Now, you start changing the atoms that the molecules are made up of, and that also changes how these energy levels are spaced. So for a series of similar molecules made out of the same kinds of atoms, the bigger it gets, the further into the red, the lower energy it's going to be able to absorb. But then you can change what atoms it's made out of, and then you get a whole new series, which, again, size will be a, a, a very fundamental determinant of what color light it absorbs. Possible to explain quantum theory without a lot of mathematics. It gets harder on the radio when you also don't get pictures. So in the book, of course, there are lots of diagrams and pictures and illustrations of these things. So on the radio, without mathematics or pictures, this gets tricky. But different types of the way atoms are connected to each other affects these you know, energy levels. So there are different types of what we call chemical bonds. And so atoms can be joined or bonded in different ways. There's what are called single bonds, double bonds, triple bonds, things like this, that determine the strength of chemical bond, in other words, how strongly the atoms are held together. And this nature of the chemical bonding affects the energy levels. Now, the hydrogen atom, you know, we were talking about things absorbing different colors. So the hydrogen atom is one of the earliest things that led to quantum theory. People were looking at the light coming out of the sun. This was before 1900, and technology was getting to the point where we could sort of take the sunlight and separate it out into different colors to see which colors came out of the sun. And it was noticed that you sort of had a, a, a real broad range of colors, but there were some black lines in the spectrum, very thin lines. In other words, colors that just didn't make it to Earth from the sun. So you'd have one color, and then just slightly over from that color, there'd be nothing, and then you'd have the next color and so forth. And it turned out that the explanation was that between the sun and the Earth, there's a lot of hydrogen atoms in space. And these hydrogen atoms have quantized energy levels. So the sunlight passing through these hydrogen atoms, the colors in the sunlight that would match the difference in the energy levels of the hydrogen atoms would get absorbed and not make it to Earth. That made these black lines in what's called the spectrum. We use this now also when we look at stars. You know, stars very far away, uh, the light has to travel a long way, and as that light travels through space, there's not only hydrogen that absorbs some of the light, making these lines, these black lines in, in the colors that you see, where you just don't see any color, but there are other molecules floating around in space. Spectroscopists, people who study the colors that are absorbed and emitted by atoms and molecules, we can actually deduce what's in interstellar space, what kind of atoms and molecules are floating around by the colors that don't get to Earth. So that gives us where the energy levels are 
And since we know a lot of theory and we know a lot about atoms and molecules, we can say, oh, these types of molecules must be floating around in space because I can tell from what colors don't make it to Earth. So the ideas of atoms and molecules and these quantized energy levels not only teach us about things on Earth, they teach us about things out, out in interstellar space. Very, very useful methods for understanding what's happening throughout the universe. There's a lot in the book goes into sort of applications of quantum mechanics. I'm wondering if maybe you can summarize some of those. There's a chapter about fats, the stuff that's in your food in the book. And it goes through and explains what's a trans fat as opposed to other fats and what's different about them and where they come from in processed food. They mainly come from processing food. And this is really involves bonding. But let me just mention one thing since we've been talking about quantized energy levels, as I said, quickly, and it requires a lot more explanation, which is in the book. Why is CO2 a greenhouse gas? We all know you burn oil or coal or you know, gasoline and you produce carbon dioxide, CO2. And CO2 is a bad greenhouse gas, meaning it will cause the earth to become warmer. Why is that? It's a combination of two really interesting quantum effects. One is called black body radiation, the first quantum effect that was explained in 1900 by Max Planck. And any warm object emits light. And this is the saying again, when you turn on your stove and it gets very hot, it glows red. And there's a quantum mechanical reason why it looks the way it does. Well, the Earth is sort of hot. I mean, it's not very hot. You know, it's a... Uh, it emits certain colors of light, and those colors are in the infrared. So they're, you can't see them with your eye. They're, you know, we frequently think of this as heat. So there's a spectrum that's being emitted by the Earth. And it turns out that CO2, if you want to think about it, that's carbon dioxide. It's got a carbon in the middle, and it's got an oxygen on either end. And if you wanted to think about it, think of your body as the carbon, and Put your arms out, and your two fists are the oxygens. Well, it turns out that there's a quantized mode. It happens at just one vibrational frequency. So imagine waving your hands up and down. That's a vibration of the carbon dioxide molecule. That vibration of the carbon dioxide molecule happens at a particular energy that corresponds to a color that's right at the peak of where the Earth emits light. It's this infrared light. You can't see it. Think of it as heat. But the Earth emits this heat, and carbon dioxide, this vibration, this wagging up and down of the chemical bond, which is quantized and only happens at a certain energy, meaning it will only absorb a certain color, happens to have that absorption right at the peak of where the Earth is trying to emit heat back into space. So the more CO2 we have, the quantized energy levels of the CO2 just match perfectly to absorb a big hunk of the heat light emitted by the Earth with what's called black body radiation. So this is an example. You know, we all hear CO2, carbon dioxide, is a greenhouse gas. But if you want to know why it's a greenhouse gas, then you need to have some idea of what black body radiation is and quantized energy levels, in this case, quantized vibrations. 
and just tries to take some examples of things you see around you in everyday life and say, okay, how does quantum theory let you understand this? So how do you build up an intuition? Really, the first part of the book is devoted to sort of developing those ideas that are different from classical mechanics, the uncertainty principle, the ideas that what you can and can't know, what you can measure and what you can't measure about atoms and molecules and electrons and these types of things. And so it takes a little mental gymnastics. It's not easy, but it doesn't require mathematics to get a very good conceptual understanding of quantum theory. Any more than when you throw a baseball, you know if you throw it harder, it goes faster, it goes further. You don't need to solve you know, Newton's equations to understand the flight of a bat baseball. Once you have some feeling for it, you can understand these things. And this is the same with quantum theory. You don't need to solve all the complicated equations to understand the basic principles of quantum theory and then to see how they come to play in explaining things around you in everyday life. Uh, the book, again, is called Absolutely Small, How Quantum Theory Explains Our Everyday World. Dr. Fair, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.